Hello! The winner is... Oh, well, sorry I didn't win it, Mr. Lemley. I know no one else I'd rather have beat me than you. I am the most frantically sought person in Cinemaland. I, Oscar the Academy Award. Hello, and welcome back to The Snub Club, a podcast where we talk about the movie that had the most Oscar noms and no wins. I'm your host, Danny Vincent. I have two other people with me here today, as always. They'll never escape. Who are my prisoners? Okay, first of all, ew. Um, (laughs) Second of all... I'm Sarah Kanoff. That's it. <laughs> and I'm Caleb Bunn. <laughs> All right. So this week we're going to the seventeenth Academy Awards. Nope, we're not going to the seventeenth. That's next week. Time for our countdown to figure out what we're covering. The most nominated film at the sixteenth Academy Awards was *The Song of Bernadette*, uh, which was nominated for twelve Oscars and won four of them which were Best Actress for Jennifer Jones, Best Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture, Best Art Direction, Interior Decoration, Black and White, and Best Cinematography, Black and White. Then, with nine nominations, was For Whom the Bell Tolls, which won Supporting Actress for Katina Paxinow. Then, a little film called Casablanca got eight nominations and won three of them. Best Picture, Best Director for Michael Curtis, and Best Adapted Screenplay, which left with seven nominations and no wins. Mervyn Leroy's Madame Curie. Sarah, what was Madame Curie nominated for? Yeah, um, so Madame Curie, well, first of all, Madame Curie won two Nobel Prizes. Thank you very much. The movie, Madame Oh, Curie, do we need to do a two-part episode because she won <laughs> the Nobel Prize? <laughs> the movie, it won, or it was nominated for uh, Best Picture and lost, of course, to Casablanca. Best Actor for Walter Pidgeon, who lost to Paul Lucas for Watch on the Rhine. Um, Walter Pidgeon was also nominated for Mrs. Miniver the previous year. Uh, Best Actress for Greer Garson, who lost to Jennifer Jones in the song Bernadette. Uh, Greer Garson was nominated five times in five consecutive years. um, And she also won for Mrs. Miniver the previous year. Um, Best Art... Best Art Direction, Interior Decoration, Black and White for Cedric Gibbons, uh, Paul Gross, Edwin B. Willis, and Hugh Hunt. Um, And they lost to James Basevi, William S. Darling, and Thomas Little for the song of Bernadette. Um, Gibbons was nominated 38 more times and won 11. Gross was nominated seven more times and won three. And Willis, uh, Willis was nominated 31 more times and won eight. And Hunt was nominated 10 more times and won Two, uh, Best Cinematography, Black and White, for Joseph Ruttenberg, um, who lost to Arthur C. Miller for The Song of Bernadette. Uh, Ruttenberg was nominated nine more times and won four. Best Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture for Hera Stothart, uh, who lost to Alfred Newman for The Song of Bernadette. Uh, Stothart was nominated 11 more times and won for The Wizard of Oz and Best Sound Recording for Douglas Shearer, who lost to Stephen Dunn for This Land is Mine. And Shearer was nominated 13 more times, also in visual effects, and won seven. Wow. Now, 
What were you going to say, Caleb? Sorry. I want to say something before we move on to your segment. Go for it. So out of curiosity, thank you, Sarah. Uh, I looked up, you know, because as we said, Madam Curie won two Nobel Prizes. So if we were to do a two-part episode, which we won't, the other movie sounds way more interesting. It's called The North Star. Uh, and the reason why I say it's interesting is because it's considered a unabashedly pro-Soviet propaganda film for World War II, which uh, sounds intriguing to me to cover something like that. But And of course, it was recut after um, the Red Scare. But anyway, I just wanted to say that, that's a, that of course, yeah, there was pro-Soviet um, propaganda at this time during the war because they were our allies, right? Right. So... I did have one comment that I wanted to make, and that is that when I was looking at the other nominees, or when I was, yeah, when I was looking at who actually won, um, I was kind of like shocked at the best actress category because like the nominees that year were Jennifer Jones, Jean Arthur, Ingrid Bergman, Joan Fontaine, and Greer Garson. And I thought that Jennifer Jones was like such a contemporary name, um, especially in this lineup. And I looked her up, and her she was born as Phyllis Lee. So there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Now, Caleb, now that we're done with those side tangents, what is um, your historic context for us? All right. So believe it or not, it's hard to believe after watching this movie, but believe it or not, Madame Curie, uh, Maria Curie, was a very interesting historical figure. Um, like, uh, Sarah mentioned, she did win two Nobel prizes, one, uh, in physics with her husband and then one after his death in, um, chemistry. Uh, the chemistry one was for winning the radium or for discovering radium in another element, which this movie kind of conflates the two. But the super interesting thing I found was that before she went to Paris to begin her higher education, she intended the flying university or floating university in Poland because Poland was under the control of the Russian empire at the time. And so it, there were certain fields of studies that Polish people weren't allowed to study as well as just, you know, women weren't allowed to study. And so she basically went to this underground educational, uh, uh, educational institute and learned you know, how to become this brilliant scientist. Um, and the Flying University did make comebacks during World War II when the um, Nazis took over and during the uh, People's Republic of Poland um, under communist rule. So around the time, it was probably starting back up around the time of, um, of uh, this movie coming out because Poland, when was Poland invaded? It would have been invaded by now, but... wow. Thank you, Mr. Caleb. 39. So yeah, they, it was probably definitely up and running. Thank you, Mr. Caleb, for that historic context. You're welcome. Now, since this is not a two-part episode, we won't be covering the Soviet war film. We are going to do the part where I talk about the ceremony. Because I get two segments, and you guys only get one. Ha! Oh, ha! No. Ha! I'll just go back to reading Kingdom Come. This was the first Oscar ceremony held in a public venue, of course, being Grauman's Chinese Theater. Free passes were given 
to women and men in uniform because this was during the war. However, citation needed according to Wikipedia. So who knows if that actually happened? There's no citation. Womp womp. Um, the event lasted less than 30 minutes. Uh, and Tom and Jerry won its first Oscar this year for Yankee Doodle Mouse. It won six more Oscars, including three in a row for the next three years. So that's a four-year streak for Tom and Jerry. Uh, so, And Tom and Jerry ultimately had six Oscar wins on 13 nominations, which is, I think, a pretty good statistic. Pretty, pretty solid. Um, this is another citation needed one, but I think it's funny. Uh, for uh, Supporting actors and actresses got full-size, full-size statuettes for the first time. Whereas earlier they'd gotten smaller supporting statues with a plaque. This was the first time each acting category had at least one nomination from a color film. And this was the last year until 2009 expanded the category again to have 10 nominations for Best Picture. Which means next week we'll be going to five nominations for Picture. For quite some time. Uh, Which means there's a film called The Oxbow Incident, which is a western with Henry Fonda, which is the last film to be only nominated for Best Picture and nothing else. Curious what the statistic is for like how many have like one other nomination. Because I remember Selma got that recently. And that was like a big deal. Um because that's the only thing I can think that would be close to the Oxbow incident today. The Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award went to Halby Wallace. And George Powell got an honorary award for developing something called Puppet Tunes which were puppet movies. Hmm. Interesting. Greg Garson presented best actress, which is kind of weird considering she was nominated for this. Would have been kind of odd. Just, but she won the it's year probably the previous right? year's winner. Yeah. But then yes, yes, you're, you're, you are correct. But the thing is to me is that I always think about how until last year, and I always say that last year it was a terrible mistake for a variety of reasons to switch this up is that usually it's the opposite. Um, sex to present the award so like for example um i believe uh, i'm trying to think of an example that wasn't last year because last year they messed it up uh i believe joaquin phoenix got his oscar from francis mcdormand because you know francis mcdormand won the previous year in 28 yeah Mm. and this year this year andrew garfield will get his from francis mcdormand yeah, I was actually wrong. I don't know what who because Joaquin is twenty nineteen and Francis is twenty seventeen. I messed up. I'm sorry. Cancel me, guys. <sighs> Cancel. All right. Oh, Rami Malek must have gotten it. I was just going off of memory. Rami Malek <laughs> got it from you, Francis. Not how you pronounce his name at all. <laughs> have you seen a? You can't hide. What were you, you can't hide behind him. Not you can't hide behind him being white, Danny. I'm sorry. <laughs> You have to pronounce you're his right, name right. You're right. Can I just call him Satine Lucifer? Because <laughs> that's how they constantly pronounce his character's name. <laughs> Time to die. Satine. <laughs> I just want to add Satine. one more detail. <laughs> one more detail that I found to be fascinating. Satine so Lucifer. Was, Sorry, go it on. Was less, it was less than 30 minutes, but there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight. Musical acts. How? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. One minute sets. 
So Madam Curie. Yeah. The film. Yeah. Not, not the not man. Not the woman. Not the woman. Not the, the film the woman is based upon. <laughs> the woman the film is based upon. Sorry, that's what I was leading into. I can read her Wikipedia page. It's more entertaining than the film. I, okay, I guess I'll start with my initial impression. And that is that I really appreciate a movie that puts me in my place. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but he was a great man. Everything about this movie, everything, like, this movie will not hesitate to let you know that she had these accomplishments, not because she's a woman, but in spite of her being a woman. <laughs> Every, it's completely detrimental to her. And I, so I, when I was watching it, I sent my boyfriend like a, uh, like I, when I first started watching, it, I was, I was like live you know, sending it to him. And I was like, her professor just said that she, you know, wouldn't be fulfilled unless she got married. And he was like, well, he probably did say that. (laughs) 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 It's just, I don't know. Like, I understand it's the time period. I, I'm sure that the, the, uh, the Rosamund Pike one is a little bit better, but this one unironically really wanted you to know that being a woman was not not the way to go back then. <laughs> I, I just think it's, uh, I, I mentioned it briefly, but I do think it's really funny that like the big Oscar speech for Madame Curie is telling her husband that he, he's a great man. <laughs> he's a- yes. Oh, it's, it's a star is born, but <laughs> science. <for> science. <laughs> well, his Oscar moment is him like impassionately saying like, she did all this, even though she is a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you added up like their dialogue and compared it to each other, she would have less than half the amount of dialogue he has. Yeah. It's a <sighs> It's a rough movie. <laughs> it's very it's very melodramatic, like the science parts of it feel extremely goofy because they're literally just talking about science and they have the most like dramatic like noir lighting on them and like i i described it as i said it was like a fake movie it's like if you need a really melodramatic movie on tv for another movie then this would be what you would show yeah i agree with that assessment i do think it's interesting i don't know if caleb's aware of this uh because he doesn't ever do the reason well he doesn't do the research on the movie. You know what I mean? That's the, I'm not, not not attacking your historical subjects. Yeah. Uh, this was written uncredited by Aldous Huxley, the writer of Brave New World, which uh, I really like that novel. Don't really like this movie. Well, his original <laughs> draft, like he, his original draft was the studio thought that it was too boring, so they had to get new writers. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's <was> pretty impressive. <laughs> that it was a more boring version of the script. <laughs> okay, wait. Okay, the actual... I want to... Wait, wait. Okay. Yes, probably too boring, but I do want to point out that the exact words were too literary. So. Too boring. <laughs> yeah. I like the narrator. Kai, 
Can I give my nomination to the narrator? Am I allowed to do that? Yeah. The narrator is weird. <laughs> like, the beginning, there's a narrator being like, and this is about a woman. No, he calls, her, the he calls her a young girl. Guys, do you know... Oh, a young girl. Do you know what this has won? This movie has won. Hmm. In 2006, it was voted the 97th most inspirational film ever made by the American Film Institute. Wow. <laughs> I know what inspired me. Greer Garson just standing there while someone else talked for an entire movie. It's in between Searching for Bobby Fischer and The Karate Kid. I think The Karate Kid should be much higher than it. <laughs> All right. So if we are... If we're if we're synopsizing the movie, um, Madame Curie is a um, biographical picture about uh, Paris Curie, and he also has a wife. And one day, his wife My comes wife. into his lab, and he's like, "I hate women," but then <laughs> she's less annoying than his lab assistant. So instead, he's like, "We should get married," but not because we love each other, but because we do science so good. Yeah, like I guess we're supposed to believe they're in like in real life. They did love each other. Like that's a known fact. So I don't know why the movie like went out of their way to be like they only got married because it was convenient. I think he's. I think it's. It's he loves her, but he's too. I don't know beta to tell her. I don't know. He's a he's a weird character, which is not helped by the fact that it's a terrible performance. This is the first. Oh my god, his performance. This is the fir- or first biopic we've covered, right? I believe it is. Um, Captain Blood was an adventure novel. I just googled it because I thought it might have been yeah. based on I a mean, real story. Cellini C- was a real person from the affairs of Cellini. Okay, but, but uh, like that's not like we, um, this. That's not like this where it's very clearly like we're just trying to inform you on the life. If we could have covered the fun. the second movie from the first Academy Awards, which we haven't been oh, able to cover, yeah. I believe that is also Sadie Thompson. Yeah, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. By the way, we're gonna cover Sadie Thompson someday. Um, you oh, actually. Are, uh, is this? I don't know if this is a biopic. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. So this would be our first biopic, regardless. We're gonna cover. Uh, and let me what tell you, that was bad way to start. Well, I was gonna say it's interesting. My main takeaway from this is, if I had to write a one-line letterbox review of it, it'd be like, "Wow, even the '40s had the generic biopic that gets nominated for ton of Oscars that no one remembers." Because yeah, this happens like, this all was... the time nowadays. <laughs> yes, but none of them are paced like this. I mean, this one is just excruciating. I've well, seen a few bad ones. <laughs> there's barely any science. Like, you think about a movie like The Theory of Everything, which isn't phenomenal by any means, but it at least has moments where they're trying to, like, show it actually how Stephen like, views the world. Yeah, and it has a romance. This, the science is just, you see them doing stuff in a narrator and a very bored voice goes, and then they had to put all the chemicals in the pot. It was very hard for them, especially because they were in a shack and the shack was cold, but sometimes it was hot. Look at all these bowls. That's the science content of this. Well, it, it's literally like, you know, people always critique biopics nowadays if they're bad with, it was basically just a Wikipedia page. And this is literally, this feels like that. This feels like I'm watching no, a no, Wikipedia page. Because 
because the Wikipedia page, I read the Wikipedia page during the movie because I was so bored. It's more entertaining. (laughs) I'm sure. Well, I think, well, and I haven't seen anything that's like a comparison between the two, like between real life and, you know, the movie, because typically like biopics will have that. But I'm sure that there was a lot of like, I'm sure, I mean, as we've mentioned, I'm sure that they really needed to like, really tell you like this is a, an amazing woman and it just uh, the big thing that i thought was really fascinating in a very morbid way so the movie came out nine years after she died and of course everybody knows how you know mary Curie died um radiation poisoning or something to that extent and at the time that the movie came out like they didn't know that that was why she died or if they did then they didn't really care because her her child, like one of her children, who's you know in the movie as a baby, um, like continued with her work and died the same way. I gotta say, I'm starting to read because you 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 guys mentioned this earlier, and I was thinking about it when you were just mentioning that is a uh, this Rosamund Pike one sounds a little uh, a little interesting. What I read, what it's actually about. Uh-huh. Uh, all, I, all I'll say is that they go to a seance in it. Uh, so as well, as that I... sounds way better. <laughs> people like people at the turn of the century had really wacky ideas that would be fun to explore, but I guess you couldn't frame it like that, you know, so soon after. Yeah, it's that's kind of the kind of thing too. Is I feel like this is a, it's a very recent. It's one of those things where you also nowadays, you know, like. Oh, we're gonna get the the children of the people involved to uh, produce the film, because uh, I presume Eve Curie was actually involved, considering it's based off her book. She what? Well, she had she had final say in the casting. Um. So she, uh, who who were they originally gonna cast? They were originally Joan, going to cast Joan Crawford was. Uh, well, no, Joan Crawford was road. never. She Joan Crawford was never originally. It was gonna be Greta Garbo, but then. Eve Curry was like, no, she doesn't look like my mom, and I want Greer Garson or else. <laughs> Greer Garson doesn't look like Murray Curry either. <laughs> like, I just think... Joan Crawford would have been fun. Well, Joan Crawford was only a... What do you call it? Was she she just first? wanted it. She well, didn't, she didn't I mean, become like a dramatic actor until 45, I believe, because that's when um, Mildred Pierce came out. I don't think she was considered really that great of a dramatic actor until Mildred Pierce from what I read on a Wikipedia when I was reading that earlier you know Wikipedia but, sponsored by Wikipedia that's our podcast but also I, I just have to keep coming back to this and harping on it Greer Garson doesn't have to act in this till the very last scene Excuse? all she has to do is what about when is she goes there. what about when she goes you're a great man stop saying you're not a great man cause you're great I also was thinking at one point, you know, like people talk about, and, and I know you didn't like it, but the movie House of Gucci, right? It was really fun that they all had bad accents. <laughs> Where were the accents here? Why weren't yeah, the they French were or Polish? Of, <laughs> well, there was one guy, her professor had an accent. Yes, I like the professor. Well, the, the, the performance. lab assistant <laughs> had an American accent. Uh, Very odd. They were, they, the curious were British. Um... The dad. I think their child was American. Yeah, and well, the child. The child. 
Well, the baby said like, wee, wee, like multiple times in the scene. <laughs> I, I, I will say my favorite moment of the movie. And let me get the timestamp I sent Sarah so that way people who want to watch. I'm happened. not fully convinced. I'm not fully convinced. And I'll tell you why. But you continue. Well, I'm getting the. So it's one. It's You would have to start at 142. One hour, 42 minutes, 40 seconds to get the full effect. Is that like, I think it's like, what is it? Is the professor who's eating with them, right? It's her. It's the dad. It's what? Clarence. Played played by Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, Clarence is there. Yeah, I. that's where I was like, he reminds me of someone. Maybe it's Santa Claus, and I, I guess I was close. It, uh, <laughs> if you want to hear Clarence say some very sexist stuff, this is the movie for you. <laughs> so much Clarence on this podcast. Um, I know. Anyway, so Clarence is like reading the newspaper, like talking, and then uh, Pierre walks in. Uh, and when Pierre walks in, He's out of frame and he goes, I think it's like, good morning, good morning. Good morning. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at one of the babies, the, the, the youngest kid, their mouth moves in unison with good morning. I'm, <laughs> not, con- just- <laughs> I'm not convinced, though, and I'll tell you why. Because Clarence is like talking to the baby and the baby is like nodding and be like, yeah, you're right. And I think... Clarence like says something to the baby and the baby was like oh like that's what I think it was well I just think it doesn't well if that's I don't care like you know like if that's what happened I don't really care it gives me this great sight of like this person walks in from out of frame I don't really recognize the voice but it's coming out of the baby's mouth (laughs) it's a very deep voice it was funny uh for all you fans of Meet Me in St. Louis out there, uh, Margaret O'Brien, who plays uh, what like the youngest kid in that, plays Irene Curie in this. Oh, so not the baby. Me, no, no, <laughs> sadly not. St. Louis. Oh my great. God, he was in Mrs. Miniver too. This was just a Clarence? full re- out. Re- yeah, this was just a full yeah. out reunion <laughs> of that well, movie. The ta- wasn't the tagline in this movie? Didn't we say the tagline was like Miss- Mr. and Mrs. Miniver together again? Which I think is so funny. Yeah, it is. I just that's so funny. Imagine if well, like, I don't know why this movie would be interesting to anybody unless they were a fan of Vera Garson. Imagine if Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver did another movie together, and it was like Nicole and, and Charlie together again, <laughs> like a Netflix movie. <laughs> It's just so ridiculous to me, the idea of marketing this movie that has absolutely nothing to do with Mrs. Miniver. <laughs> well, Mrs. Miniver was like a huge cultural touchstone because it was one of the first movies that addresses World War II. But I've never seen it. My impression was that like, the husband goes off to war. Like That was just always my thought. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Well, I, I'm but, wrong. Like, I thought it was a comedy. So. What do I know? I'm... Like I've you know, always kind of to watch Miniver? Mrs. Miniver. <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Miniver. Yeah, there's a sequel to Mrs. Miniver, and I would say that maybe they should have saved the tagline "Mr. And Mrs. Miniver" together again for that one. <laughs> I'm just saying. See, I've I've always kind of wanted to watch Mrs. Miniver, but knowing that Walter Pigeon is in that. Like, yeah, we should talk about his acting because it is so. I didn't hate him. I think it's. <laughs> I don't know if it's I don't you know what I'm gonna look it up and see if he started in like, not gonna, silent films. I'm not gonna make him win my award to be clear. I don't I don't think it's bad. I think the movie's bad. So he didn't start I mean, in silent films, which whenever like an actor is like kind of bad, 
Like I, I always think maybe they started in silent. Um, he isn't Forbidden Planet. He just is. Oh no, he wasn't silent films. Never mind, he was. Um, but he he had a great singing voice, so that's how he got really famous. He just he's so wooden and he's so like over the top and he's so like just ugh. He's just. He's just like, to me, that's what I mean when I say it's like a fake melodramatic movie. Like, he is like the definition of that type of performance. Just so over the top. So, like, just not good. And it's like, especially when we look at, you know, a couple years in the future, we look at It's a Wonderful Life. We look at Jimmy Stewart's performance. Like, yeah, Jimmy Stewart's performance would be a little bit over the top now. But for the time period, it was very nuanced. It was very, all right. I mean, you disagree. But for the time period. It's still nuanced. Don't go after my Jimmy. No, 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 no. He's amazing. (laughs) The point is, like, he was able to have a very nuanced, like, really, like, solid, believable performance in that time period. And then you have actors like Walter Pidgeon who are so over the top and bad that are still getting nominated in the same category. Well, even consider like Ronald Coleman. Ronald Coleman, like we like him on this podcast, but I don't think any of us would put him in like top actors of the 40s list. But him in all three of the movies we've seen outshines uh, Pigeon here. Like it's just, it's embarrassing how bad he is. I don't know. I think I would say Random Harvest. No, no, you're right. No, no, no. Ronald Coleman is better than Random Harvest because he at least has the two the dual role thing to play with. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But the other two, I yeah, think, definitely. I honestly, Comparing this to Aerosmith I, is really funny to me because Aerosmith is so much better. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's the most comparable movie and content we've watched. But oh my word, was Aerosmith a real guy? No, I don't know. No, I don't think in, so because that thing like ends with him, doesn't it? Like you know. I, I didn't even bother looking up because I just thought the ending would meant that it no way was it based off a real person. Yeah, no, it's fictional, but like just in terms of they're both stories about science with a romance central to it. The only difference is that like there was conflict and drama and tension in Aerosmith. There was conflict and drama in Madame Curie. It was just during the montage when the narrator said we got over it. Oh my gosh. Oh no, we don't know what radium is. Oh, is this, I guess we know this, what radium is I feel now. like we're all negative on this. Would, would we say that this is the second worst thing we've watched in this podcast? Because I definitely, obviously, Affairs of Selene was the worst. To be right? honest, this might overtake it for me. <laughs> Oh yeah, that would make sense. Um, because this isn't only like bad; it's kind of offensively bad. It's so like the pacing is so bad. Like, like the scene, for example, the scene where he proposes to her. It's just them like walking around the house. It's them just like, you know, they eat dinner and they do all this stuff, and they keep saying, "Oh, she's got to go back to Poland. She's got to do all this," and it's like. 20 minutes of them just in his house talking about oh i i want her to stay and just like all this stuff just goes on and on and on he finally proposes to her there's this big hubbub afterwards it's just the pacing is so bad like it could have been a five minute scene like you could have just had yeah this is two hours and four minutes that's longer than like most of the stuff we've watched yeah so at the bo- I, I keep a I keep a ranked list on my letterbox. 
And at the bottom, like the bottom three are Alibi, Merrily, We Live in Affairs of Cellini. Alibi's fun, so it's yeah, it's automatically. Yeah. I would then, watch Alibi than this. <laughs> I, I despise Affairs of Cellini, so it's under there. So like comparing it to Merrily We Live, I I think there's Merrily more value just in it's just in the sense of like at least you're educating about an important figure with this. But then I remember Merrily We Live has that really fun car crash. Which oh, is we haven't talked about the crash. Yeah. We haven't talked about the crash. Cheer. When I tell you my jaw dropped. <laughs> See, I'm afraid the, the Wikipedia page unfortunately spoiled that for me. Well, I want to say my favorite thing about that crash is that, okay, for the listeners... Who don't want to watch this movie, uh, Mr. Curie, Monsieur Curie, excuse Dr. me, Doctor Doctor Monsieur Curie, thank you, the main character. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Walter, our boy, our boy Walter, uh, is walking down the street, and then as I've become aware of in these movies, that whenever you hear like a loud sting in the music and like a cut to another driver, that means someone's about to die by a horrible accident. But in this case, it's a horse, and you get to see like the horse like pick up his body and ride around a bit. But the next one we crack up is that when the, the the news is delivered, it's like he died instantly. I'm like, no, he didn't. I saw him move. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was riding around a bit. It was probably. Really I really liked. I really appreciated the shot oh, afterwards no. where the guy who was like like driving the horses, like he like comforted them. He was like, it's okay. <laughs> I just just so hung up on the uh, he died instantly. That, that's a flat out lie. I, I can't saw him like, die. It's like it's like a high quality stunt. Like he gets <laughs> he flies. I was like, yeah, that's why I was like, as soon as Cam was like, but they didn't have the quality car crash. I think the horse crash in this is quality. It got me very excited okay. for a second. I was genuinely okay. shocked. Real quick, we have to rank it. We have to rank it in terms of car crashes. How does it live up to the crowd's car crash? I feel like they're comparable. Uh, well, in this one, you get to see it. Yeah, so the crowd there, didn't see it. It's a bit of excitement there. And the crowd, though, think about Okay, here's the big thing. I know you guys don't like it. To me, the crowd is like a legitimately good movie. And these other two are just terrible. So, But we're just talking about the car crashes. I think this might be. Or horse the, crashes. I think. I think. That merely live in this have the better crashes because yeah. the stunt stunts in both of them are just so ridiculous compared to anything else in the movie. <laughs> I think for narrative utility, it still goes to four daughters. That's a very uh <laughs> he made his own lightning. That's true, he did make his own lightning. I will say as a positive on this is that I didn't think there were many stereotypes in it, if any. Mm, so I guess points for not having Okay, okay. Racial stereotypes, let me clarify. <laughs> well, there was nobody who wasn't white either. That's a yeah. good point, too. Which, I guess I can't. I, mean, I shouldn't give him credit for that either. Historically, you know, there probably wouldn't have been besides people in a, you know, a servant role. But even then in Europe, I'm not sure. Or in yeah. Paris, I mean. Well, the reason I bring it up is more because we th- I was thinking about Merrily We Live, and if we're talking, comparing the two bad films there. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember Merrily We Live at all. That's like, okay. I, I've repressed um, half do you the remember, Do you remember that. My Man Godfrey? 
I do remember My Man Godfrey. I don't remember Merrily We Live. Merrily We Live is just My Man Godfrey. Oh, oh, because it was like exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Merrily We Live isn't my lowest on this. I'd have to, my second lowest on this. I'd have to look at that. Now I'm curious. Continue talking, guys, while I look this up. I'm trying to find racial makeup of Paris in. I mean, I'm France sure there and, was. Like, I'm sure there. I were, remember in but, Dunkirk, there were black soldiers that were French. Well, there were in the war, yeah. So, well, my thing is like, I'm I'm not really trying to make a big deal out of it. I'm just curious because I always, in my mind, for whatever reason, I always assumed France was had more diversity. Just because when I see depictions of France, there usually are more black people than like depictions of other European countries. Um, but I'm not sure I'll be able to find this data. They're also like way worse when it comes to racism there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just because just because the demographics are higher doesn't mean that's better. <laughs> I'm just curious. Right. This has nothing oh, to do you know with what humanity. I all right. You wanna know what my second worst film we've covered is? Hmm. It is I want to make sure this is an entire forever film, so I'm just double checking. Uh, I gave this one one and a half, and I gave the other one. I think I gave it a full two. Yeah, the the worst second worst film I think we've covered is Love Affair. <laughs> Love Affair is my second. Love Affair is pretty boring. Yeah, Love Affair is that. Uh, but I do think yeah. this is probably equally boring. Other <laughs> than the, the car oh. crash. <laughs> the, Love Affair is like middle of my list for some reason. I don't, I don't even, know why. I don't even remember Love Affair. I like, well, it's I getting Criterion release for some reason. She, she, she gets hit by a car in it. Oh. <laughs> you should have said, say, say like an affair to remember. That's easier for me. Well, I didn't remember the affair. See, I want to point out that this this movie, like, there's just not much to talk about, too. It's just like it's Adam Curry's life, but sexist. Did did you think that the science was like easy to understand? I was dozing out of it personally. I feel like they did not. I don't know if this is a credit or a detriment. I feel like they did not go out of their way. To help the audience understand any of what they were doing. I think, I mean, I followed along as well as I could, I guess. But I think the big detriment, not necessarily is how much detail they're putting in, but just how boring the rest of the movie is. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know if I can say anything more about this movie. <laughs> I really like. I guess like the last thing that I'll well, I guess one of the last things I'll say is they kept like the music was very weird. The music like there would be maybe because maybe he was maybe Harold or whatever his name was was bored too because he kept adding these very like sinister like stings into it especially when he would do like when there was like close-ups of the radium and in my mind i was like oh this is foreshadowing for when she dies but they didn't they didn't do that (laughs) so i don't know if if he knew something that we didn't know i don't know (laughs) but it was just i kept thinking that something more interesting was gonna happen with the music nope never all right do you have anything left to say, Club? 
it shouldn't be hard to make an interesting movie about someone who did so much. Well, it shouldn't be hard to make a romance about. Like they did love each other. Like that was they they were very famously in love. I just don't. There was no romance. I felt like they hated each other. Yeah, and it's a tragic. Like both of their deaths were super tragic. So you have that hook too. Like there's just a lot of potential here. I haven't seen. He died on impact. He died on impact. (laughs) Died instantly. No pain. Um, I haven't seen Radioactive, but I'm I'm more curious to check that out now. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, It's a free Prime movie. Non-spawn. Anyway, shall we play our game? If we must. You must. It's our duty. This was nominated. Sarah, read us the nominations. I know what I'm giving it. Yeah, I do too. Uh, Best picture. Best actor. (laughs) For Walter Pigeon, Best Actress for Greer Garson, Best Art Direction, Interior Decoration, Black and White, Best Cinematography, Best Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture, and Best Sound Recording. I forgot to talk about the sound recording. The talk sound recording, was, it was really bad. It was very bad. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's so all I, I wanted to I say. I was going to give it to no, Best Sound Recording. No, I'm kidding. Uh I'm giving it to cinematography and we never talked about this on this podcast, but I believe it's the same cinematographer who did uh, random harvest because, you know, random harvest was by the same director. Uh, I'm just checking that to make sure I'm not putting my foot in my mouth right now. Yes, it is done by the same cinematographer as random harvest. Uh, I think this looks nice. Um, Never really exceptional other than like some shots of trees that are like framed nicely, but I'll take serviceable, serviceable like, like quality focuses and stuff over pretty much anything else here. You know, it's the it's the best of a lot of bad options. The cinematography to me, so yeah, I will give it best. Uh, what is it? Set set design, art direction, art direction whatever. Yeah. I'll give it that because, with the exception of the one scene where they were on the boat. Um, everything was filmed in a studio, <laughs> so they they did a good job at making things, especially when they're like on their little like terrace. I don't know how they did that. Maybe they had like a green screen, but it looks like they're like out. And well, probably like a-, a map painting would be my guess. No, but it was moving. Oh, I don't know. But it looked your good. projection mm-hmm. look good. I will give it. Oh man, you're right. This really is really is looking for a jewel among things that aren't jewels um i guess yeah cinematography there's a shot where they're showing all the all the bowls that have the decaying radioactive material um when they're trying to find the radium or evidence of the radium it's a cool shot of scale like i'm like oh yeah they they really did put a lot of work into this so all right so add a nomination for this movie somehow Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> with the caveat that this is just, what is this movie most competent at? Because it's not good at anything, really. I guess editing? It's not bad. <laughs> well, like, uh... well, well, I mean, it's too long. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's more about the 
screenplay and stuff. It's true. I don't it's know. like how people go like, why didn't uh, Thelma Shoemaker edit the Irishman more to make it shorter? Yeah. Anyway, go on. I, I don't know. Like what? First off, it's nominated for way too many things. So that takes out most of my <laughs> options. I, I don't know what else to give it. Cause I don't want to give it screenplay because these people made a boring script even worse. So yeah, I'll, I'll stick with editing, I guess. So first of all, at Academy, uh, where is the best stunt category? Hello? Um, but knowing that, I cannot give it that. You say that. I, I, I know my workaround for that, but go on. <laughs> I'm going to give it best costume design because she wears a pretty dress. Oh, that's a good one. I didn't think about that because it hasn't been introduced yet. So I was just looking at the options that we had. Now I want to look at the options I could add that haven't been made yet, haven't been invented yet. You uh, do best. What a, what was it? Best story or whatever. Eh, it's a uh, good story. <laughs> best dance direction. Best juvenile award to that baby. The, <gasps> the baby. <laughs> uh, I was good. Well, I'm cheating anyway. Um, yes, there's no stunt category, but at this time, I think stunts kind of went under special effects. So I'm giving it best special effects for that stunt. I don't really even care. Sorry. There's literally nothing else here I can figure dwarf it. And I do think in the 40s, they did allow like stunts to go under special effects somewhat. It was a little more loose. Um, I have no actual uh, proof of that. I don't really care that I don't have proof of that. I'm doing it. Best special effects of Adam Curie. The, the radium looks kind of cool, too. All right. Do you guys want to know what we're going to cover next week? Because you should actually be excited for it. Sure. Next week. Is I think I might. Time. Is this the classic or is that? It's a classic. We just watched a really, really rough movie. And now we can have a movie that is considered a bona fide classic. When the great. Honestly, it's often listed among the greatest films of all times. And I've never seen it. Uh, it came out in 1944. Which makes sense because we from nineteen forty three that we just covered. Uh, it had seven nominations and no wins, and it is drum roll please. This time we actually need it because it's a exciting movie that we're going to get to cover. Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity. I've never oh. seen this movie. I'm very excited to see it because it's all it's been on my watch list since school, maybe honestly since high school. Because uh, uh, this is considered to be an absolute classic of a film. Um, and, you know, I've never watched it. So it'll be exciting to watch this and cover it. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, it's we definitely need it after this last one. <laughs> we definitely need to jump to something like this. Um, is Billy Wilder one of these directors that will pop up a couple more this times? This is the only time he'll ever be on. Because his movie's actually Alrighty. usually one. So... It'll be exciting to talk about him. So this will only be, I think, my second Wilder film after Some Like It Hot. No, I've also... Oh, of course. I always forget Ace in the Hole is him. Ace in the Hole is also... Oh, Ace in the Hole is a good movie. Yeah, I know. I have the didn't criteria. You just watch, didn't you just watch The Apartment recently? No, it's coming to the music box. Uh, okay. No. Is it The Apartment? Either The Apartment or The Conversation is coming to the music box. And I think the apartment was there last week and I missed it. So I won't be seeing the apartment anytime soon. I'm pretty sure the conversation is what's coming. Um, 
And the reason I get confused between the two of them is because they put the trailers for both back to back at one of the movies I went there. And I was like, oh, it's a both. But yeah. Well, I don't think I've seen any Billy Wilder. So I think this is a good one to start out with. So yeah, be exciting. Uh, wait, so have you not seen it either, Sarah? Or have you seen Double Indemnity? I've only seen uh, Ace in the Hole. And this is exciting. The, We're all watching a new Billy of, Wilder. We're the last all... scene of Sun Like It Hot. <laughs> Ain't nobody's for. <laughs> uh, this will be exciting then. All right. Uh, we'll sign off now. I'm Danny Vincent. Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Blank Mints. You can also listen to my other podcast, Wise of Tyne Dan, where we're currently covering Men in Black. And then, uh, who knows? You know, who knows? We don't have a Marvel property till March 30th, so we're, we're vamping a bit there. But that's okay. Uh, I'm Caleb Bunn, and you can find me at Instagram and YouTube at Caleb from the Real World and Letterboxd at The Myth King. You can check out one of my other podcasts, uh, Hot Trash Unlimited or Star Wars Therapy. Um, and thanks to our editor, Joe Schrimmer. And uh, you can check out the podcast that we do together on comic books called All New 52. Um, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram um, at SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-K-Y-29, and Letterboxd, just by name, Sarah Goff. Um, you can find us on Facebook, uh, The Snub Club, Instagram Snub Club Podcast and Twitter Snub Club Pod. All right. We will see you in two weeks on Valentine's Day, actually. Uh, if the episode comes out on time, fingers crossed. But for double indemnity. Woo. See you then. Hear you then. You know how it is. Bye. Bye.